Welcome to the Judaism from Within podcast. I'm Similana. The biggest danger in a topic like idolatry is that there is always a tendency to either oversimplify or over-exaggerate what we mean by this concept. And the true need is to abstract the principle and apply it to our experience today. Thereby, it can affect how we look at the world. To bring an example of simplification, in ancient times people bowed down to rocks, trees, because they were stupid. They weren't stupid. Oh, that is an oversimplification of what humanity did. Building up on this, but taking it in a different direction, you have a more religious description, which brings us on to the exaggeration. Working with the premise that it obviously seems bizarrely silly, but then they have a problem. Because from a religious standpoint, the Torah seems to be very much against idolatry. But why? If it simply was a bunch of people bowing down to objects and bringing sacrifices to the sun, so they take the next step, that it actually achieved something. This is what I would call the exaggeration, which means idolatry actually achieved things in the material world. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this view. I don't really understand this view, but this is a view that's taken. But what I want to do is express why Rav Hirsch took the concept of idolatry, abstracted it, and then allows us to apply it to our lives in a meaningful and direct way. Just to mention a new project I started called Jewish Perspectives, a new podcast where I approach more philosophical themes or religious ideas that I wouldn't necessarily get to in my teaching of Rav Hirsch. Of course, you'll notice the heavy influence of Rav Hirsch, especially this week, so the title one more time, Jewish Perspectives, a back to idolatry. So the two approaches we're not going to take is one, that it was just a primitive expression of confused, scared humanity. There was something deeper going on. But we're not going to go so far as to say it actually achieved some sort of material ends in this world. In which case, what is the principle? What is the principle that Rav Hirsch is going to identify as being the fundamental structure of what we mean by idolatry? And how does that permeate to how we view the world? So we are going to step back. The mitzvah, or the commandment, to withhold from idolatry. What does it mean from Rav Hirsch's standpoint? Well, this takes two steps. First of all, what not to do. And the second, what in actual lived experience is so devastating. Because once again, and I say this repeatedly, how does it affect life? If you tell me the first step, you've given me the knowledge, what I shouldn't do. And it being wrong on an intellectual level. But that never is the full picture. It is never even the most important part of the picture. The most important part of idolatry is not simply a mere falsehood of intellect or misguided. That would be bad. Clearly. But from a Jewish standpoint, that isn't the main issue. The main issue is, what does that develop in you as a personality? How do you look at other human beings? How do you look at your action? What do you feel you're compelled to do with this piece of knowledge? The same way we looked at the positive orientating factor of the unity of God, or the source of everything coming from one moral being, and how that permeates through you into lived action. What does the negative side of this? You reject that. You take away that underpinning foundation which your action in the world is based off. What are you left with? What do you do? 
The question Rav Hirsch asks us is, what will we replace it with? What will become our new focus? What else will we put up as being our absolute? It's no longer the monotheistic god of Avram. What is it then? Is it you? Is it something else you're going to establish? Something else will fill that vacuum, as they say, the universe abhors a vacuum. Something will go there. This idea in this discussion really was made prominent by a thinker called Friedrich Nietzsche, a German thinker who pronounced the death of God, but not so much in victory, but just diagnosing the problem with his society. He recognized that they had undercut the foundations that Christianity had given them because of the advance in science or whatever, but that foundation had been taken away, in which case he asked the very simple question, well, what now? If we're not predicating our society on the monotheistic god of Christianity or Judaism, well, what will we predicate it on? Where will we get our values? And the similarities between the way Rabbi Shamshrafal Hirsch describes the confusion or the lack of direction that ensues the death of God, or from Rav Hirsch's point of view, the losing of this unified force in your life, are striking. Because the need of a value system is unquestioned. But Nietzsche was terrified. His prognosis was accurate. We're going to question his answer to the problem. His solution was that we as individuals had to create our own values. We had to be the ubermensch. We had to be the ones who would create our own destiny and our motivation to move forward. So this is our first option, the turn to the self. The second option, the way Ruth Hirsch describes it, is a turn to history. Maybe there's something in history that moves things forward. Fate, the dialectical forces of what's known as historical materialism. Or perhaps it's power, the power that's embedded in nature itself. These are options that were put on the table throughout history. They all have their ancient manifestation, but as well as their modern one. Be it history in terms of the ancients looking at fate, or as I said today, a Marxist view of history, where history was inevitably working its way towards a certain conclusion, and we had to help it along in that direction. And then you have Marxism, and you have revolution. Or the natural sciences. It's not so far-fetched to envision an individual who looks at the natural sciences as being the absolute arbiter of truth. No philosophy, no religion, just science. It's the most reliable. It's what gives us the most reliable results, in which case that's the direction we should be going in to find our values. Because you have taken something and you have made it absolute. That thread we see play through, be it the self, be it history, or be it nature, the minute something becomes absolute, and thereby, even if you're not going to use the words, it becomes your god. It becomes your point that you're going to build everything else on top. So these are three options that Rav Hirsch says mankind can go. Okay, so the person's wrong. People are wrong about lots of things. Why is this such a big deal? For Rav Hirsch, he feels that it's not the biggest deal that you're wrong. That clearly is an issue. But the worst part, the most devastating part, is what follows forth from this false philosophy, which is actually quite reflective of life. We just want to put this point in here. There are many people who don't have a, let's call it a personified moral foundation as their worldview. I know many of them. Some of them are my students. What they've done is they've picked another foundation, a foundation that, in my opinion, 
perhaps, is heavily influenced by a monotheistic foundation. And they've called it something else, be it human rights, be it liberalism, whatever it may be, I would still say that its influence has very much come from the monotheistic worldview. Whilst at the same time not being theistic, they have my respect. So we've separated out the knowledge and the action. So what's the connection? How can this faulty knowledge lead out to devastating consequences in the real world? Let's take nature. Let's say you look at nature as either in its ancient expression, nature as its diverse forces, each one being a god in competition with each other, or in the modern expression of just it being the most absolute truth we have access to. So if you've identified something within nature that its power has called upon you to worship it, well then you're worshipping tyranny, you're worshipping power, in which case vices that in general we feel we should move away from, for you might be considered divine. In which case, you have no room for moral will. You have no room for self-sacrifice, because there's only power. And like nature exhibits its power with no moral will, you might think you have to do the same. So that talks about nature in its ancient character. In its modern character, if you look at science, and the scientific method is the only absolute arbiter of truth, in which case, you have another problem. Where do you get your values from? Because you're not explicitly saying where you're getting them from. And you're definitely not getting them from science, because that's something that is beyond the purview of science. The way it's put is you can't get an ought from an is. You can't tell me what I should do based off the circumstances on the ground without any values in terms of how I should act. There's a field in front of me. Nothing about the field tells me how I best walk through it. I have to have a destination. In which case, if you're not explicitly stating your values, well, then where are they coming from? in which case they're coming from somewhere where you're not willing to acknowledge them. That's very dangerous, because if you look at the world as what works is what's right, we only have to take a cursory glance of history, or even in the present time, to show that being developed in the scientific world doesn't mean you're morally developed. Clearly, those are separate things, and the minute you make one, the absolute, and that one that you make as the absolute, isn't the moral structure of the world. Tyranny follows. So we've got our first one. Nature being your god, and what you will then do, and how that stands in the way of human dignity and moral action. But let's take the next one. History. History and fate are your god. History and fate are the absolute. What mankind wouldn't do to try and influence that? We have an expression of this in ancient Jewish history a god called Moilech that the Jewish people used to serve, and they used to sacrifice their children in the hope of swaying the gods and trying to get their fate under their own control. The mechanistic relationship this develops with the gods in trying to sway history or change the fates. Devastation once again follows, because what wouldn't you do if you thought that by sacrificing something you would be able to get what you want? you develop a mechanistic relationship with God. Rav Hirsch said this idea can also manifest in our lives. What can happen if you think you can have a mechanistic relationship with God? If I do A, he will give me B. You can turn God into merely a God of history and fate. You can turn the Jewish God into that by making a relationship with him that's purely based off mechanistic processes of what I will give him to make him give me things. That's a God of history. And lastly, 
the God of the individual, when you change that, no, 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 there isn't a foundational structure that I have to abide to, that I have to change my moral will to fit in line with, well, then it comes to the self. It becomes egocentric, in which case what I want becomes what's right. In which case creating values, as Nietzsche encouraged us, well, where do those values come from? They come from me. In which case, whatever I feel I want somehow becomes divine. There are problems to this worldview. What part of my psyche am I going to listen to? Let's say I create a system of values. How good am I at listening to other values, and how good will I be at listening to my own values? In which case, what do I do? I take part of myself, I abstract it as being the most divine, or the thing that I have to follow. How honest am I am with myself that that's going to be something good? This for Rav Hirsch was the danger of the self being the god. So, let's recap. We spoke about idolatry coming from one of three places. History, nature, or the self. Where is it going to be your focus? Is it going to be egocentric, history-centric, or, in the case of nature-centric, where are you going to put your focal point of your life? And we spoke about the dangers of each of these, be it history, be it nature, or be it the self. The answer is monotheism, but ethical monotheism of Avram, the God that called us on a journey, the God that called us on a journey and to commit ourselves to this responsibility because it's the right thing to do. What happens, we can't control, but what we can do, we can control. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful upcoming Shabbos.